we're really, really happy to announce that um, that we are just signed a an ambassadorship program with Schedulicity. Schedulicity is a scheduling app, and um, they've been kind enough to uh, to help us out this next year. Yeah, they uh, we met them in L.A. when we did the uh, Salon Digital Summit, and they really believed in what we were doing mm-hmm. and how we were doing it, and so they wanted to know how they can partner up with us to. Uh, to even reach more listeners and, exactly. and give what we give. That's that's right. So um, with our uh, with our partnership with uh, Schedulicity, we will be able to reach more hairdressers and we'll be able to bring a lot more content and get to a lot more hair shows. So uh, hopefully, we can see you guys out there in the hair shows when we're there visiting. Yeah, and and they're going to give us a, some business tips uh, throughout the podcast as well. And I'm so excited that you know. We're partnering up with people that believe in the same things we believe in. Yeah, no doubt. That, that, that's pretty exciting. So uh, anyway, Schedulicity, once again, big shout out to you. And uh, thank you for joining your day off. <laughs> Silly. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey, hey, welcome to your day off. My name is Courtney. Chris, my best bud. Tony, what's up, man? What's up, bud? So, uh, we're, we're uh, not much background noise now because it's later in the evening, but we're still sitting at our premiere Orlando. Yep, year two, day two. <laughs> year two, day two. And uh, and uh, I think we're about to get our freak on. Oh, man. Dude, like, we've been waiting all day. For, actually, we've been waiting quite a while for this. We tried yeah. to do it once before, and we had a bad connection. Actually, twice before. So, so. I've never ever done this, but I literally dropped on Justin. Look, I, I just ruined. Oh, I just man. ruined the coyness, right? Um, so our guest today is Justin Isaacs. But what I did months ago was I totally had the wrong time down in my head, and then Justin's waiting around for us, da 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 da, da and we just never joined the, uh, the podcast. And oh. dude, felt like a jerk. So then we rescheduled it. And then Justin was the jerk because he had the world's worst internet connection. I don't know what they do in L.A., but they have the worst internet connection in the world. Right. It's it like was, traffic, right? They dude, the worst traffic we've talked to people in Australia. We've talked to people in England. We've talked to people in Cambodia. And they had way better internet connection than, than Justin has in L.A. Right. I think he might. He must have like that. Uh, that 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 three dollar plan, right? Because <laughs> you know? he's never there. So he, he's like, look, look, he joined the podcast. It went <laughs> to get him on. <laughs> that is the truth. We we were podcasting uh, from like 1982 and dial up connections. Oh my god, that, oh, that's funny. That's crazy. So uh, let me just get in. Yeah, let's just get in. Mr. <laughs> Mr. Justin Isaacs. Welcome to your day off. Oh my gosh, so thankful to be here, you guys. And it's true, uh, I had the buddy plan, but my buddy moved out. So. <laughs> so there's the internet. You know, that's the price that you pay for, you know, living in certain parts of California. You got dispensaries, whole food deliveries, everything you want, but Wi-Fi. Right? So I'm happy to be here in the flesh, making uh-huh. it happen at Orlando Premier. Second year for you guys? Yes. Yeah, yeah. Second, second year's year. on the pretty podcast rod. here. Congratulations. Yeah. Thanks, brother. That's pretty rough. Yeah, you know, year one brought us uh, a good friend of yours, uh, Miss Jen Plank. And, uh, you know, it's, that just opened up, you know, this whole new world for us. And Completely. It, yeah. And since that, 
year one it's been on a just a, a rocket of a ride right now so it, we're just we're just so thankful for premiere for allowing us to do what we do sure. you know i kind of wish jen plank was here so we could thank her personally for uh for introducing us to uh to to justin i know right yeah well you know she's always around <laughs> exactly right you know what i mean it's like i'm always like is that the plankster and i'm like, i turn around i'm like oh no it's just just some awesome kid right. you know it wasn't kid. her you know with no. the greatest hair but right? she's yeah she's always rod and she's really powerful and I love it because underneath it all, she's really kind and sweet, but she mm-hmm. comes off as like, what, Boo Bear? Like, oh, oh <laughs> Uncle Jen, gonna da 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 you know, anybody that's doing anything for the industry is all good. We have a long history of knowing each other. And so for me, it's awesome to see her um, getting on stages and impacting people. You see a lot of people cutting hair, coloring hair, doing their thing on stages. But the reality is, is you got to be human first, right? And make some sort of connection. Mm-hmm. And it's like people buy people, then they buy things. Right. Mm. You know, and some people, especially now... They're trying to put their things in front of them, whether it be what they're wearing, what they're doing, what they're driving, you know, things like that. So I like her because it's always remained about the idea of, of that core thing. It's about connections, about people. We all have crappy days. We all have right. awesome days, hopefully. <laughs> but, yeah, so she's Rod. She's totally right. Hey, so uh, there's a rumor that you saved her life. You want to tell that story? Uh, that's... Probably um, one of many. If we're, you know, <laughs> what many times have you saved her life? Not hers, but just humans. Humans. Right. Oh. Yeah. I mean, I don't like to call myself a superhero. A I like to generally go by left-handed Latin Aquarius. <laughs> uh, but I did. You know, uh, Jen got to spend some time at Red Can We Do Our Symposium for about 10,000 hairdressers every other year in Las Vegas. And you could come from people all over the world. And Jen was able to join us. It was like a dream to come break bread with us and be a part of it. So she did. And because of our history, she kind of hung out with me uh, the whole time. Mm-hmm. I loved it most of the time. <laughs> and um, one of the days, right, we're sitting there working. And she had like, they called them in London, like knuckle busters, you know. And they're just big like skull rings, right? Oh, yeah, so yeah, yeah, she had these rings. And at Redkin, we, we uh, clap and we do energy and this and that. Because sometimes it's a mental change, right? Sometimes mm-hmm. it's a physical change and this and that. So we're in there and we're doing our rehearsal. And we're clapping our asses off, guys. You know, we're sitting there like, get it, get it. Well, the veterans like me, we understand that this is going to happen a lot. So about second day, you don't actually touch your hands, bro. You know what I mean? Right, you, right, right. Like right now, you can't see it on the podcast, but I'm clapping. But you don't hear me, right? Because right. I'm smart. Redkin OG. <laughs> 22 years, right? But Jen, unfortunately, poor thing, she, her energy was there. She's like, oh, my gosh, this is amazing passion. I love everything. And she was clapping like Boo Bear was clapping, girl. And she's clapping so hard. What happened? She bent her ring. And so what was a round ring flattened out. So we don't know any of this. We all come in the back. Yeah, it's awesome. Yeah, I can't wait to do this. We're a great team. Change the world one color at a time. Right? And we come back, and all of a sudden she comes. She goes, hey. And she walks up, you know, like, comes up. I need help. And I'm like, what? And she shows me her finger and starting to turn red. And I'm like, what? Come on, we could do it. And I start to pull it, and it's, like, stuck more, right? It's like some direct dyes that you use the wrong bleach on, and they jammed in the cuticle more. And you're like, wow, now I'm hot pink, not just pastel pink. Get some education, y'all, right? So that being said, she had this ring, and we're looking at We went and got some oil, right? We went and got some conditioner to, get the, to, get the ring to try off. and get the ring off. Right. We put it on there. We're jimming, you know, side to side. Now there's, like, five people around us, right? And okay, she's, name drop. She starts Samvia. Uh, mm-hmm. 
Chris Sorby, Lori Zabel. A lot of people were there, and they all had, like, opinions. That's awesome, right? When you're dying, <laughs> I want a lot of opinions versus a doctor. So we're all sitting there twisting it, trying to get it off. And I'm like, dude, it's not coming off. And she's starting to, she's looking at me after me. She's like, I'm starting to freak out. I'm starting to freak out. Boobers starting to freak out, Jay. And I'm like, you'll be all right. And then I turned, and I go, help get a paramedic right now she's gonna die <laughs> and so anyways they ran somebody ran and got some um bolt clippers some wire wire cutters and stuff so they ran and they came and i went and tried to like jimmy you know the little clipper in there but there was no room she had been clapping her ass off so hard that it was literally square to her finger and i couldn't get any leverage and i went and tried and couldn't so she had her model was this big like aquaman dude Right, and he was like this big What's giant, it, Jason Moma. Yeah, right. Looking dude before he cut his hair, and uh, he was that dude, and he was able to go and jimmy it, and he used the wire cutters and cut it. She off. had to call in a man to get it and, off. Uh, a long-haired man. A long-haired. Yeah, yeah. No, I'm good. I'm good with where I'm at. I'm in my fighting weight for sure. One sixty-five, forty-eight. Yep. I love it, man. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'm strong. Ready to swang. Yeah. So, yeah. so you saved her life. I saved her life, That's and brilliant. I I don't know that I've ever been repaid. <laughs> well, you haven't died in her presence either. No. I mean, no. No, I haven't. I don't plan to. No. Because you don't trust her. Because you don't trust her. Well, no. I mean, I love her just like I love everybody. But, like, if it comes down to it, like, I got to get home. You know what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> like, you know, like, I'm all for team and shit. But, like, you know, if it, I got things to do. I'm not done. I'm barely starting. I might be 48 to y'all, but I'm 20 to some people. So <laughs> I got a long life. I, I just, I'm starting my prime. Uh, yeah. He's got to get home to his, He's got to get home to his dial-up uh, internet. And you know, Google something that'll take four hours. That's probably to why do. he's so young. Right. Are you sure it wasn't the bunker that held me out? <laughs> like these guys are doing a podcast from the war zone. Like the bunker. Are they in Croatia right now? Like where are they coming from? Oh my God, that's funny. Uh, so, so Justin, where are you from? Where did you grow up? I grew up in uh, Los Angeles, in Pasadena area and Silver Lake area. My my mom was a hippie who. Uh, got pregnant and had to find herself so I was raised by my grandmother uh, my grandmother's blind she was blind uh, which is a funny thing somehow if I think that now I, I use my eyes you know visually to color hair but yeah a lot of what I got uh, I have a strong belief strong loyalty system and things like that it's from my grandma being blind I was I was a bad kid you know uh, I didn't know my father and I was just angry like, you know, I don't have a dad. My grandma's blind. I, the street I grew up on, true story, guys, is called Avocado Lane, yet it's an alley. <laughs> and so I was like, you could call it a lane all you want, bro, but this is an alley. I see the gutter down the middle of the street. There was a nursery behind us, but everybody in the neighborhood called it the Vina, and I didn't know what that was till I got older. And re- I'm like, oh, vineyard. That's what it is in English, but in the neighborhood, it's the Vina. Um, so I grew up with a lot of my blind grandmother leading me where I was the, um, I was the eyes and she was the mind, right. you know? So I think that now in my career, um, it serves me well cause I, I speak a lot in pictures mm-hmm. and I'm descriptive. A lot of people like the way I describe things or this and that. And I could only relate it to having to explain the world to my grandmother. She would tell me like, the what you see is like a, a movie theater you know mm-hmm. what i mean it's the screen and she would ask me like what do you see describe it to me like think of a clock and it's the same way with her food i'd have to tell her like your steaks at six o'clock potatoes are at 10 o'clock two o'clock's your vegetables and things like that so 
Um, yeah, so I grew up that. My mom was also in my life. She was just going to school to become a nurse and RN. She just actually, uh, I want to say graduated, but she retired after 40 years nursing and surgery. So I was raised by women. I'm a mama's boy, a grandma's boy. I have the utmost respect for um, independent women and women that are doing it. My male role models were the cholos in the neighborhood. They were the gangsters at school. They were the the homies that I wanted to be part of, hang out in the streets with, you know. Wow. So did you, was there a time where you kind of gravitated towards that? Yeah, I, I, gravi- I gravitated um, to the streets at an early age, and part of it was just the reality of how I grew up, having a blind grandmother. Mm-hmm. I was a latchkey kid, but the, the latch was my blind grandmother. So as long as I could yell to her, I would be safe. So it was stay in the yard, but I was three houses away, lighting right. fireworks, throwing poop at people's house. Like, we did everything. We were bad kids because when I look back at it, life's funny when you look back at it at the time. I didn't understand it. When I look back at it, all I wanted was attention, you know? All I wanted was somebody to take the time to hear me, right? Because I gravitated to the people doing bad things. So I was arrested when I was 11 for robbing a liquor store. Whoa, at 11? Yep. I also, I also, though, went to the ACDC for those about to rock We Salute You tour when I was 11. Hell yeah. Saw Angus Young rocking out. <laughs> mm-hmm. Before I before I fell in love with hip hop. Wait 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 hold on slow down. We're not gonna like slide past that. <laughs> <laughs> yes. So I was uh, as I said I, I was a bad kid. I was able to run the streets if you will, and I was that kid that was curious, and I was that kid that um, I had blonde hair when I grew up, mm-hmm. uh, but I'm Latin. So I uh, my family's from Mexico. Came up during the revolution. I don't know my father. I met him two years ago actually. And um, I had blonde hair, but I lived in an all-Latin Mexican neighborhood. The vadio is called Chihuahuita because all the people came from Chihuahua, Mexico. So it's little Chihuahua. And um, people would want to pick fights with me or start things because I was little Weto Weto, little Whitey, little Blondie. And uh, I had to defend that. So I was that kid, like the kid in Bad News Bears, the little second baseman who always got in a fight, or right. the Tanner or whatever I think his name was. And so... I was, I was just that kid, always willing or trying to prove myself because I was attracted to the older kids. I never had friends that were my age. Like when I was 10, I was rolling with like seventh graders. Right. Well, I'm sure that can prob- probably contribute to your anger if you constantly, you know, with yeah. the, growing 100%. up the way you did and then people constantly want to challenge you. It, it does. And it also, you know, it, I guess it fuels it. I was, I was as a kid, I was, I was angry all the time, I can remember, just in a in a bad mood you know because i had all these questions that i needed answered of where's my father why is my grandmother blind why are we in an like all these things and uh so it did add to my anger i got in fights a lot but i think that it was just uh me hanging like i said hanging with older kids when i robbed the liquor store i was 11 the other kids there were three of them they were all 14 um did they did they all get arrested as well yeah, but one of the f- sad thing is one of them dimed us out, you know, and like that was the first lesson. Like, you know, loose lips sink ships, you know, like, you know, snitches get stitches, right? right? So that being said, um, we got narked out because somebody got caught. And the funny thing about this, we're in court, gentlemen, and the judge tells my mom, you know, um, you need to be careful about your son. He's hanging with these older boys. And she said, with respects, Your Honor, they need to look out for my son. 
I know my son, and he was probably the ringleader. And <laughs> I got 17 days in juvenile hall, and they got 11 days, and I was the youngest kid. Um, and from the time I was 11 to 17, I spent about four and a half, five years locked up. I was in and out of juvenile hall. Uh, I got taken away from my mother. I was ward of the state. Um, I was. How old were you at that point? Thirteen when I got was when they took me as ward of the state. I was in camp. I was in the youth camps in um, Malibu. Mm-hmm. You know, a lot of people have seen them from like The Rock and seen mm-hmm. that movie with the camps. I was in there. I was in youth homes. You know, and the reality is, is I was smart. I was smart enough that I realized at a point that bad was fun, but I knew what right and wrong was, right? right? I wasn't so naive. I wasn't so gone that I didn't know what right and wrong was. I just liked doing bad more. It was fun, and I was willing to deal with the consequences because it was better dealing with consequences than nothing. Mm -hmm. When I look back at it, if that makes sense, you know, it it was better to... To know, like, okay, I'm going to get in trouble, but I knew I had a, a, a meeting, a, 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 an issue, a confrontation coming. Like, I had a probation officer from the time I was 11 years old that I had to check in every month. I had to do pee tests. Because you name it, I did it. I sold it. I smoked it. I stole it. Mm. You know, grand theft, auto, breaking and entering, assault. I, I, I did all those things. And... Lucky to be alive. Lucky to be alive. And, you know, I believe that's why I have two angels tattooed on my arm. Because I believe that angels are around us living somehow. And I don't know exactly how. And we all believe in something different. But I know that I know that my grandma couldn't have done what she did as a blind woman without angels around us. And I know that uh, I can't do what I could do without it. Because the reality is, like, people see me and they're like, oh, my gosh, you're awesome. You're this and that. But I'm a scared-ass person inside. I'm a scared little kid. I'm like, everybody's going to find me out. I only finished sixth grade. They're going to find out. I never went to an advanced academy to learn hair color. They're going to find out. You know, I haven't won Naha or any big shot, no awards. They're going to find out. You know, inside, I still feel like that kid that it's my first day. Mm-hmm. I want to be an awesome colorist and not just not taken so i'm still fighting for those things you know and part of it is our own stories and my story and you got to let go of what you could let go of and the other shit is it but those are the things that keep me humble for what i am you know because i didn't i didn't grow up in this world i didn't know what opportunities were around i didn't know those things i do remember going to vidal sassoon my mom took me as a kid and it was weird as hell (laughs) <laughs> it was weird because my mom got to a point where she was a nurse and making some money, right? And she was like, all about the perms, right? All about the perms, tab, right? Tab in the cola, oh. tab cola, and like Cherokee, Cherokee uh, wedges for women. And she was all about that. And she would go get a permit, Vidal Sassoon in Beverly Hills. I remember her and her friend. And one day she was like, I'll take you to go. And I was like, yeah, all I want is to be Nikki Six. All I want <laughs> is to be, I want to crop you know i want this and that and i was used to kids in the neighborhood because we liked that music we would hold up our you know those yellow those orange (laughs) shears and just cut the damn thing you're like wow you seriously got a crop it's almost a flat top (laughs) you remember right it's like that's is that a flat top or is that a crop top and we would do things like that so it was just amazing to be able to do those things you know what i mean like growing up was fun i'm gonna write a book about it one day I hope so. I would yeah, love to so. read it. Yeah, yeah, for real. So then, ha- so how did you find this industry? 
Well, you know, my, my earliest memory was that, going to Sassoon, and they cut my hair, and I wanted to be Nikki Six, and I came out looking like poison. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, like I wanted to be rough and raw and like little like a little dirt bag from, like, Hollywood that was in a band, and I came out looking so polished, and like I said, just poison. I was like Ricky Rocket to the ninth power, you know what I mean? And I was like, Mom, I... I don't think I like this. And she's like, what? It was like $45. It's so incredible. And I felt like I was like a little kid, but I had like just this big, like, I don't even know. It was just a big hairpiece on my head. And what's, that, what's that movie with, uh, with uh, is it David Spade? Where he had the crazy, <laughs> where he had the crazy hair. What movie is that? I don't know. Dirt, dirt, something dirt. Oh, uh, Joe Dirt? Joe Dirt. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's kind of what I'm seeing in my head. About 10 of those, though. Like, it was volume. <laughs> you know what I mean? It was like, imagine a jellyfish that just didn't stop coming off my head for like half a foot and then just head formed down. <laughs> like, I jo- walked out Justin there. Dirt. Yeah, so that was my first experience. And then the reality is probably when I was about 15, um, we got some clippers and we would just start shaving each other's head to take our the money our parents would give us to go get beer. Right. You know, um, <laughs> we, we, we did everything. Like I said, we'd go get beer. Mickey's Big Mouth was the beer of choice at that time. Old mm-hmm. English 40s, you know, Cisco's were hot on the trail, you know, things like that. And we would do that, buzz each other's head because it was all undercuts, skater cuts. You wore a fringe like this. You're like, what's up? What's, what's up? up? What's <laughs> up? Had your skateboard tucked under, you know? You're the only one that looked like a surfer because you had the blonde hair. Well, my, you know, my hair started getting darker when I was like 11, which I was thankful because it would have been rougher in juvenile hall, actually. Because um, those things, you know... Um, it's not the lightest place in juvenile hall and most of the people have color in there so it 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 helped me um assimilate more you know what i mean Mm -hmm. because i didn't have that because that made me stand out with it but that was my first thing with hair and honestly when i was 17 i got in trouble again and i went to court i was still on probation and the judge told me you're getting three to five years in prison but i'm going to give you 10 days to change your life kid 10 days and my suggestion is you go to the recruiter's office there's four choices you could make if you join the military i'm going to suspend your prison sentence so like the dumbass kid that i was (laughs) my mom had went to ireland she got married and went to ireland on her honeymoon i was left with her house there 17 years old i had a party for like seven or eight days straight and on the ninth day i walked in the recruiter's office and I asked, who dies first? They're like, the Marines. I'm like, not interested. A month longer, <laughs> even though my uncles were Marines or are always remain Marines with respects. Like, I can't. Then I'm like, Air Force? Nah, not really heights. You'll be in the middle of nowhere. Army? Ah, just seems kind of lame. Navy? The beach. I love the beach. Water? I'm in. So I signed up. Two years active, four years reserve. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. I was 17 years old, and I had braces in my mouth. And that thir- three days later... I was there in a military dentist, and they were taking the braces out of my mouth because they didn't want to make sure radio waves or anybody could tap into, you know, anything in my mouth. <laughs> yeah. And I was 17 years old and went shipped away to boot camp. Where'd, wow. you, do, where'd you do boot? San Diego. Yeah. Not great mistakes. That's what they told me. Don't do great mistakes that's when they, it's cold. That's what, that's what they told me. Yeah. So they shipped me to San Diego. Oh, see? There you go. You know, yeah. I almost joined the Navy. I went in there, and I was going to be a uh, aircraft mechanic. That's okay. what I got approved for. I was like, all right, cool. So they said, well, in order for you to, uh, you know, 
you have to leave tomorrow morning, first thing tomorrow morning. This is like early, early in the morning. I was like, okay. I said, what time will I be out of here today? They said, oh, you'll be out around 10 o'clock. I said, cool. I can go home and say goodbye to everybody. Sure. Give my love to my family and friends, and I'm out. And all of a sudden, 10 o'clock comes. I still haven't gotten sworn in. 11 o'clock, 12 o'clock. They kept forgetting me. You're at the MEP station. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So next thing, next thing you know, it's like 6 o'clock in the evening. I still haven't gotten sworn in. So now, you know, as a young kid, I'm upset. Yeah. I was like, I don't got no time to say goodbye to nobody. So I went home. And then <laughs> you just walked out? I just walked out. I went home. <laughs> so so the next morning, the recruiter calls me. He goes, yeah. hey, what happened to you? And I said, hey, man, <laughs> true story. I said, look, I'm not even in yet. You guys are screwing me. It's 6 o'clock. You said I was going to get sworn in at 8 o'clock, 9 o'clock in the morning. I said, he goes, well, with that attitude, we don't want guys like you in, in the Navy anyways. Click, he hangs up on me. Oh, uh, look at it. him. Well, you were lucky. Right. <laughs> you were lucky, you know. I was like. Yeah, you were right. lucky because that would have been a derailment for you. So that's it's okay. Right. That's right. Yeah, that's you a know. funny story. But, right? yeah, it, yeah, it's crazy. Missed it by that much. Yeah, but, right. The funny <laughs> thing is because we were going in together. Buddy he, system. You guys it, grew up together. Yeah, yeah, yeah Okay. Yeah. So, so, so the next morning he's on the bus thinking I'm getting on the bus. The bus start driving. I'm on the corner waving at him. Bye, buddy. Bye, buddy. Wait, that's your buddy? No, that's a jackass. That's a jackass right there. I'm the buddy. That's a jackass. I'll see you in four. (laughs) Oh, shit. (laughs) Right. Oh, sweet. That's your billet number. Off he went. (laughs) Wow. How old? How old were you guys that time? Uh, 19. Yeah, 18, wow. 19, 19, yeah. Yeah. About that time. That's crazy. Uh, That's an awesome story. And to be here now breaking bread doing this. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Crazy. I right, listen. We've got a crazy story. <laughs> One day Jen will tell you about it. <laughs> <laughs> wow. So 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 you're in the, I guess two years, you said active, four years inactive. Yeah, I did a, I did I did my time. I did my two years and four years active and you know it was it was a weird thing, you know. I, I uh I grew up around everybody in L.A., but it wasn't segregated, right? I grew up around everybody. I rode the bus to public school, this and that and everything. There was more racism, I think, within the neighborhood of this and that than anything. But when I went to the Navy, that was the big everything. Like, it was a segregated ship. I moved to a ship, and it was mm-hmm. like there was this section, that section, this section. And it was a huge eye-opener because my first day, it was a brother, black dude, checking me on and this and that. And when we went on to the mess deck, the cafeteria, as we have our food, we go to eat. And he goes, all right, I'll see you after. And I was like, huh? And he goes, yeah, we, you know, we don't. And he gestured. And I looked. And there was like all brothers sitting. There was all white guys sitting here. All the Filipinos were here. And it was just really weird, right? And I was like, what? He goes, no, we're cool, but just everybody eats separate. And I was like, all right. And I walked up and I went over to like where the white guys were. And I went over there and I was like, there's a couple Latin guys, but were like older that I didn't feel like and I was like I don't feel like I grew up with any of these dudes at all like, <laughs> they look like they got some like shotguns and some trucks or some shit that I ain't grown up with you know right. what I mean and so I was like there and I was like yeah I don't I don't feel like I could sit and talk Rob Bass and run DMC to these guys or anything so, mm-hmm. so I went to the other side and sat down right when I did an older black gentleman goes you know what you're doing young man and I went Huh? He goes, you know where you're sitting? And I go, yeah. I go, I, don't, I, don't, I just grew up. I go, I'm connected with whoever this now. I'm not trying to be anything with that. But, like, 
I know I ain't got nothing in common with them. And you might feel like I don't got skin in common with you, but I got a lot more in common with y'all over here because how I grew up than them over there, you know? So, and the guy who checked me and kind of stood up for me and like, no, he's cool. He's cool. And so it was a huge eye opener to, um, the world of racism. It was a huge eye opener to like, uh, what our government, different things that our government does that allows people to come into our country. Like at the time, I think it was Jimmy Carter who, you know, because we had a base over in the Philippines, Filipinos could join the Navy and get yeah, yeah. citizenship. So my ship was easily 50% Filipino. So I was good with that because I could play Majong, y'all, and I eat lumpia. Why? Because I dated a Filipino girl when I was young. Oh, snap. You got to be smart. So <laughs> that being be said, on the ship, they're not dummies. They were like, okay, we're not trying to be officers. We're not trying to make a career. We're trying to get citizenship and get in. So they operated all the cool things. Your mail, your food, your laundry, all these things. So you got to know all of the Filipinos on there, and you could get all your services better. So it taught me a lot about bartering, too. Mm-hmm. You know, um, I was in there. I was happy to get out. You know, When I got out, I kind of found hair on accident. I had... Uh, crashed my car it was in the shop getting fixed and i asked my mother could i borrow your car because i had met a girl wanted to go on a date and um she was like no you can't you haven't got a job and i'm like i just got out of the navy and she very quick put me on check and was like don't act like that was your choice you had to (laughs) so i'm like all right so she's telling me for a week you know get a job show show some intention and not don't come back with an application from mcdonald's i'm like damn hitting her up every day she didn't crack right and so on that last day, two days before my date, I opened the LA Times and saw, and there's nothing I was qualified for, you know what I mean? And I saw a little ad said, assistant needed, must be able to shampoo hair. And I was like, I could do that. I do that every day. And I'm <laughs> in. So I called the place and I went, and it was a salon in LA, and I went for an interview. And I had no intention of wanting the job, getting the job. I wanted my mom's car for the date. And I went in, and um, it was kind of a cool environment. They had like, open uh, sky space up top and this and that and it was really cool they had an old like television that was an aquarium now and this and that and the guy kind of asked me the owner Don Maxwell he's like uh, yeah so you know you think you'd be good in this why do you think you'd be good in this and everything and I'm like I lied I was good at lying as a kid and I was like well you know my girlfriend is going to beauty school and I know it's expensive to get in so I want to make sure it's for me because I did know it was like expensive, few hundred dollars to get right. it, to get started. So he goes, all right. Within ten minutes, he goes, all right, kid, you're hired for tomorrow. And I was like, what? <laughs> like, no, no, I, I don't want the job. And he's like, wait, what? And I go, like, no. And I was honest. I go, no. I met this girl, and I want to take her for a date. My mom needs a car. And he goes, nah, you don't do that. You know, you shouldn't waste my time. So you owe me tomorrow. You'll be here. And I was like, oh, and. I never grew up with a male like that. I, and so all of a sudden, I was like, oh, yes, sir. Like in my mind, I was like, yes, sir. Reporting for duty. <laughs> you know? Private Isaac. And so it was funny because I'm like, well, what could I wear? He goes, I don't care. Wear what you have on now. And I had like on Bermuda shorts, a wife beater, flip-flops. And I'm like, really? He's like, yeah. So I came in the next day. But before that, I remember going to the party. My mom let me her car. I went to the party. It was no big deal at all, right? Didn't hook up with a girl, uneventful, boring. But what I do remember, and this is my first, like, 
hmm, hair world? Because what I remember is <laughs> I feel like, and it was a high school party, mind you, right? But right. I remember walking in, and I feel like before she even said, because I was the outsider for all their friends, is like, hi, this is my date, and he does hair. Like, I don't ever remember her saying my name or anything. I just remember, and he does hair. Because what did I say when I met her? Oh, yeah, no, I'm an assistant at a salon. Yeah, I work at Maxwell's. I do hair. I'm kind of a big deal. You you probably don't know, but you know, that's what I do. All been there six hours. <laughs> now I'm the owner. You know what I mean? So, But I do remember that, and I remember all the girls coming up and like, oh, you do hair, and well, when did you go into it, and this and that, and it was an icebreaker. What would you do to my hair? Yeah, uh, totally. Now I hate it. <laughs> right? What would you do to hair? Shave it so you didn't ask me next time I see you? <laughs> that's what I do to your color. But that was kind of that initial. I went to that salon I worked. He hired me. I made tips. I think I made $76 that first day in tips. And one of his clients showed me her new boobs. And I was like, I'm in. <laughs> right? And I worked there about five or six months. And all I did was shampoo hair. And then one of the colorists asked me, I need your help. Could you take this, put it over there, take this color, put it over there? And I didn't know what I was doing. I knew what bleach was and things like that. But I didn't know like anything like that. So I went over there. And she goes, and hurry up. So I went over there, and I started putting it on real quick. And if I could have, I would have opened the cap and dumped it <laughs> on her head because she said quick. Well, what started happening was the one color, nothing. It was like white cream. And just put it on. No big deal. Then the other one I started putting on, and it started turning colors. It started going smoky gray, this, that. And I heard a, what the hell are you doing? And I looked up, and it was like that. Woo, woo, woo. I can't whistle. Woo, woo, woo. It was like that. And me and the client's <laughs> eyes caught eyes in the mirror. And what happened was I had put a bleach touch-up, a bleach refresher on a zero-one black, did nothing. But then I put a black refresher on a bleach oh. touch-up. So what was going smoky purple black was her level 12 white hair. And some, somehow in the process, it came out. He's not licensed. He's an assistant. I got sent to the back room. And I kept peeking out there. The client was going off. They spent hours fixing her. I'm in the back room. I would peek my head out the back room. And each time I would do it, somebody would point to the back. I'd peek my head out the back room. Somebody would <laughs> point to the back. And the owner kept telling me, go fold foils. And I'm like, how long till I come back there? It was like five hours. I swear, guys, there's still foils in that freaking salon <laughs> from, from that day when I did it, right? So... He came back there after, though. He came back there, and he had the colorist. He sat us both down, and, he, and I'm 19 at the time. And he asked us, he goes, all right, what happened? Because now the client found out you're unlicensed. I had to give away a year's free services, and she's trying to get a fur from us because she knows she could sue, and she's that lady. And so the colorist is like, well, he messed up. I told him to do this and that. And he's like, I want to hear his side. What, what, what happened? And I told him what was up. I said, she gave me this, said, go put it on her. Be quick. Take this, put it on her. And I go, and I did what she said. I, was, I didn't know any better. I went and did it. And I told him that I would open the damn thing and poured it on her because she said, do it quick. And the colorist was like, no, that's not what happened. That's not what happened. And then I'm No, no, that's exactly what yeah. happened. And then the, the owner, though, to my... It was crazy. It was one of those moments in my young life where it was like, man up, level up, kid. And the owner took my side. He actually told her, he goes, look, I believe the kid. I believe that he doesn't know any better, and he was so on point to do it. I believe you were running behind. You thought you could throw him 10 bucks and it'd save your day. 
And she looked at him and she goes, I've been here however many years. And he goes, I'm not saying that you're bad or this and that. I'm saying that I think this is what happened. And what I want to ask you is, did you ever come in early or stay late to train him on color? Because all he does here is shampoo, but you want him to save your day. So I believe him. I take his side. So at the time, you know what I'm doing? I'm flipping her off. Because <laughs> I'm 19 and I don't give a damn and I just won the battle. So I'm flipping her off in my mind. I'm like, yeah, bitch, what happened? Right? And he looks at me and he goes, that's not cool, kid. I'll talk to you next. And he told her, we'll talk later. about it." And I'm sitting there and he goes, so here's the deal. I got to fire you. And I'm like, what? And so all of a sudden I go into like, well, the hell with you. Hair's stupid anyways. It's nasty. I don't want to touch nobody's nasty scalp anyways. This is stupid. And he goes, kid, be quiet. Be quiet. And he told me, I have to fire you because they know, but I believe in you. And this and that, he started talking. And I'm like, I don't even care. I walked out. Came back the next week. And he gave me an envelope. He used to pay me under the table. And he gave me an envelope, right? And I opened it, went out to my car, I opened it, and it should have been like $189. It was like $680-some in there. And I looked at it, and what I thought at the time was I thought he gave me one of the stylists uh, their service dollars for the week to let me know, hey, if you stay in this, you can make money. We believe in you. And the way I was raised was like we were a lot of things, but we weren't a thief. We would be a jacker. But we will look you in the face and go, I'm taking your bike. We're taking your bike. We're taking your stuff. We're not going to take it from behind your back. And a lot of people don't understand that. But for us, that was, that was playing above the lines. I'm not going to sucker punch you. I'm going to look at you and tell you, let's fight. And we're going to fight. I'm not going to run behind you. We're not going to gang up on you, this and that. So it was just one of those funny things in relation to money and what it means to you. What I thought was he was giving me somebody's money from the salon and I walked back in the salon and I threw it on his desk and I told him, you gave me somebody else's envelope. And he goes, what are you talking about? And I was like, you gave me somebody else's envelope. You owe me this. And he yelled at me and he told me, sit down. And I looked at him, what? And he said, sit your little ass down. And he goes, I know exactly how much money I gave you. I told you I believe in you. I signed your little ass up for school and I bought you a kit. And that's the money it's going to take you to buy some uniforms and get started. And I, I feel the feeling that I felt that day again right now. I felt very small. I felt very humbled. And I was like, what? What, do you, what are you talking about? And like, you, you can't just give me that. That's what I told him. You can't just give me that. And he's like, what are you talking about? And I was like, my, my mom wouldn't do that for me. There's nobody in my life that would do that for me. Like, well, you don't even know me. And he goes, I told you I believe in you, kid. And I've been waiting for somebody to come around to pay it forward. And I was sitting there and I was like, I, I, can't, I can't ever pay you back. And he goes, you don't owe me money. Don't take this wrong, but I will always have more money than you. And if you need, if I need money... I have my people like you'll have your people that you could lean on. But what you do owe me is you owe me your first job interview. When you finish school, you owe me the first right to hire you back because you're going to do far better things than I've done in this industry. And I started crying. Wow. And I started crying um, because I was humbled. Like I said, nobody had done this before for me. And the, the money, let alone the gesture, let alone... You know, life's amazing when somebody believes in you. You know, Justin, I, I want to jump in there real yeah. quick. So, 
first of all, I think it's incredible that at 19 years old, um, I believe in you. It's a powerful, it's, it's so powerful for all of us because I think most of us go through life, certainly, you know, the experience that we've had in this industry, like we all come from different worlds, yeah. right? And, and, and most of us have never heard those words, I believe in you. Mm-hmm. And, and, and the way that you're telling it is that not only did this person step up and say, I believe in you, but it's also really the first male figure that you had that, 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 was, that, was, that was kind enough and brave enough to, to shake some whatever into you. And to, and to hear, I believe in you, those words, I, I just can't, I, I can't imagine how, how life-changing that could possibly be. Or there was, clearly. It w- you know what was weird? It was weird to grow up in a world where it was about show no weaknesses and try and be tough and don't cry and, and the machismo of Latin uh, bringing up in this that. So I had gotten accolades, but it was for doing bad. Mm. Right? It was for, for punching that big kid that, that I, I was smaller than, that I got in a fight with. It was for stealing that bike. It was for smoking that joint. You know, it was for these things. It wasn't for saying bless you to somebody because they sneezed. It wasn't for being a good Samaritan, turning my blinker on. Like, it was always for doing bad. So it was really weird for somebody to be like, you're good and you're doing good and mm-hmm. I believe in you. And yeah, it was just, it, it was a weird thing. And, I tell people that today, like, it's amazing when people believe in you what you could do. And when people don't believe in you, like, you're not empowered. And it's a weird thing because it could be the same thing. You know, I could tell somebody I believe in you one time and never tell them again in their life. But just them hearing that somebody's on their side makes a huge difference. You know, it makes a huge difference. And so I, I accepted the gift, yet I sat there in the office crying. And I didn't know how to accept it. And he just basically told me, I've been waiting for you to uh, come into my life. And that's how it goes. And um, I wasn't a man yet. At the time, I was 19. Um, I got my girlfriend who I was living with pregnant at the time. I went, I started school. I did start school. In the meantime, I got my girlfriend pregnant with my son, who's 26 now. And... um, I needed to work. She was a model at the time, traveling and making money, and I had to work. So I dropped out of school and started working at Miller's Outpost. You need some 501 jeans? I got them. <laughs> but you know what? I don't want to sell them to you from the register. I'm going to steal them, and I'll offer them to you later. You know what? You got some diapers. My boy LG worked at Vons. We bartered. You give me diapers and Similac, I'll give you 501. Even better yet, here's some silver tabs, buddy. They come with a pleat. <laughs> what? You want to get fancy? I got some acid wash for you. Don't worry. Right? So I worked at Miller's Outpost. I dropped out of school. I used to go up to the salon every day after school to assist. I'd finish school at 4.30, be at the salon at 5, work till about 7, and learn. Just assisting, right? And this and that. And when I... Had to was stop. this a salon with the same guy? Same, same guy. Owner, right? Maxwell's was the name of it. And when I, when I had to drop out of school, I wasn't a man, and I felt like I let him down. And it was easier to avoid, just like ditching school. You miss one class, it's easy to miss the next. Next thing you know, I'm behind a semester, yep. right? And you don't graduate. And that was me. So it took me like three years to finish beauty school because I had to start at one. I went part-time. I got kicked out of one. I had to go to another school, and I stopped going up there. Because I was embarrassed that uh, he had given me a chance, money, and I couldn't finish. But I also knew from another side that I was a kid that wasn't raised with a father. And my biggest thing that I had to do was raise my child. You know, so that was my priority with it. It wasn't to be a hairdresser at the moment. 
It was I had to have diapers, I had to do this, and I had no life skills except being a hoodlum. <laughs> so I needed to find that, and I had dedicated to my grandmother and my mom that I wasn't going to sell drugs anymore. I wasn't going to put myself in a position to get taken away or my freedom or embarrass them or my family anymore. So those were things that I did, and I never went back up there. I got back in school, and I was almost done. And I went back up there to talk to him, and the stylists were like, oh, he went back, he's visiting his family. And I was like, all right, cool. Came back like two weeks later, came back up. Hey, is Don in? No, he's not. So as, he's back home. So as I was coming out, one of the stylists goes, hey, kid, come here. And I'm like, what? And she's like, they didn't want to tell you. And I'm like, what? They're like, Maxwell had AIDS. He passed away. And I'm like, what? And I started crying there, feeling like I'm feeling now. And they told me, yeah, um, he went back to be with his parents, but he passed away. And nobody, nobody had the heart to tell you when you came back looking for him. Because they know that he helped you. He paid for this and everything. And nobody wanted to tell you. And so I was sitting there and I'm like, that's just weird. And like, again, like as a kid, I'm like, what? Freddie Mercury was gay? I didn't know that as a kid. I just thought he was an awesome performer, you know? And then, and so it's same thing. I'm like, what? Maxwell, I didn't like, and I don't care, but it was just one of those things where I was just naive to everything. You don't know what you don't know. And it was really weird because that's one of the things that drives me now. Um, I ended up finishing school. Uh, that salon closed down. But then I ended up finishing school, and as I got into hair, I got into education because I needed to feed my baby. Salons were closed Sunday and Mondays, and I saw that educators could make about 100 bucks on those days doing classes. I also saw that they didn't have any fear because they had all the knowledge for it. So that's what really got me into education, you know what I mean, was doing that type of thing. But I started doing celebrities as I got into it, and I had a, a fork in my road. Where I was starting to, you want to do e-channel, you want to do, I was doing Ellen DeGeneres, you want to do this, a lot of people, Charlize Theron, look at me name dropping, and all this, <laughs> uh, Beck, and I was, doing, I, I was doing these people, and um, they wanted to publish it, or wanted to do this and that, and they sent me nice baskets, they got me into great parties, and they fed my ego, but they didn't fill my soul. And the little kid that had somebody believe in him, and somebody reached back to say, we'll help your little ass over the wall. They didn't do that for me. It was superficial to me. And I realized that what feeded my soul was hairdressers and this industry and teaching people to live a better life and teaching them and sharing with them the things that I've had experience with, that I have success with, that if I could do it, you could do it, right? And there's no reason you can't do it if I could do it. So that's kind of how I got into um, education and doing this journey. And I'm 22 years into my journey um, this year with Redkin that I've been riding with. And um, I love it. The industry's changed, obviously, you know, mm -hmm. a lot in the 22 years, as well as how we get our education and where we get our ed education. Um, but it's been, been amazing, for sure. Did, uh, but when you went into that salon yeah. and, and, they, the, and they told you that he, he has passed away, did, I mean, did you feel like, like re not regret but did you feel like disappointment did you feel no i think it's closer to regret you hit it first <laughs> you know because it's like in life you only get so many chances and sometimes you don't know you missed a chance and there's other times you know it right you know the, the one person that believed in you you know what i mean you never got a chance to 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 go 
to he, give him he that first. Yeah, I never right. bloomed. He never gave you yeah. never gave him you that know? first interview, right? No, I, he never got the first interview, and I never bloomed because yeah. he never saw me finish, right? And that's a funny thing because um, I've seen that colorist again that I messed up the hair. She came to the exchange. Life gives us poetic justice if you stick around long enough. She came to my class at the exchange, and she remembered me. And I asked the team. Chris Barron was there, Sam Villa, and I was going to do the welcome opening. And I asked him, please, could I sit here? And I told him, there's somebody that I just need to stick. There's somebody that I just need to stick it to, please. Because I know that as a 19-year-old kid, I put the color where I needed to, but I realized what it did in my world. And so... She came back and attended my advanced color class at the exchange in like 2005. Mm. So it's a funny thing how life could go, you know, in a circle. But you only get so many chances. And I was for sure, I was regretful. You know, all the things that I grew up with came back in that moment. Because I was like, all right, screw up. You can't finish anything. Can't commit. Somebody hands you the money. You can't do it. Golden ticket. You're not Willy Wonka. <laughs> you know, Charlie and the Chocolate Factory, that whole thing. So it was. It was all those stories that came up. You're not good enough. You're not worthy. You let somebody down. Right? And I think that's why it took me so long to get through school. But I use this person as motivation all the time because um, I want to believe in people. You know, I want to believe in humanity. I want to believe in people. And I, I want that little kid that's driving like a little McDonald's Happy Meal home today to one day have a nice car mm -hmm. and realize that if you just put in the work, you could do it. It's not, it's not anything that's available to me that isn't available to you. You know, people see Justin Isaac now on stage. They see my name, this and that, and they're like, oh, I want to get that. And I'm like, really? You want to be 48? <laughs> you want to be 22 years in? Because I've sacrificed a lot. I've missed a lot of birthdays. I've missed a lot of this and that. But the reality is if you want it, you could get it. But, but you have to be accountable for your stuff, right? Like, like I live the life that I live because I built this life for myself. You know, I don't want to report to an office, so I don't have to. But if you want to, there's plenty of offices for everybody to report to. It's relative to how we want to live our life. You know what I mean? Mm. Wow. This is amazing. Yeah. I mean, like, dude, man, that, that story is incredible, man. I, I kind of want to go back a little bit on it, um, kind of all the way back to the beginning, and now I have different perspective from that. Um, now that we've heard your story a little bit, like, yep. and, and actually, it's not even not even different perspective, but but when when we started when we started off, you said like you've always felt like that little kid. Even today, you feel like that little kid. So yeah. when that little kid starts creeping in your brain, like, what are you? What's the conversation that you're having with? So you can kind of like lessen the, the the control on that little kid and and, and what's it? you clearly do it i so. think i think that it comes with like knowing who you are and i think the biggest lesson in life is acceptance right and it first has to come with yourself um so i think that the kid in me um still feels alone because he doesn't understand why his father wasn't there and i've had to i understand why and i met my father two years ago and um i wished him well I don't need to see him again. We don't need to hang out. He made choices, but I realized the man I could be if I don't make the right choices. So it was a great um, model of the behavior that right. could happen in front of me, you know, um, within that for sure. Um, but I, I don't know. You know, life is a, life is a funny thing um, where we start, where we end up in, and those different things. I don't know. Man, I, 
Yeah, I, I, I can feel you, man. Like, you know, my, my father jet it when I was two. Yeah. Right. So I didn't know my father. And then uh, he reached out. Um, he was on his deathbed. Yeah. And so I, I had my wife and my kids. And, and, and at the time, you know, he, he wanted to, to say he was sorry. He wanted me to come visit him. And I had the opportunity to either, I don't know him. Yeah. But if he passes, I got to live with it the rest sure. of my life. Yeah. Or I can show what my show my kids what forgiveness looks like, right? So, yeah. you know, we ended up going to the hospital. We, you know, we all met him one day, you know, and I told him they I ain't mad at you. You know what I mean? And that's the last time I saw him. I felt good. It, 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 he he passed away like you know a couple of days later, uh, but it wasn't for him. You know, it was more for me and my kids. Yeah. You know what I mean? And, but, you know, it's so I can relate to you, you know, but probably, like, even if you never see him again, you saw him, you got closure. We said our piece. Right. And, yeah, yeah. you know, I got well, mad some, respect for you, bro. Sometimes, you know, brother, sometimes it's, it's not about them. It's us getting something on our chest or something, you know, and what it is and, and understanding what it is. You know, it's like how you said, how do I, how do I manage or how do I talk that little kid? I know what that little kid is, is he wants to be a part of something but he's too cool to go join you. Right. Mm. Right. So I was that kid like, I want to join. I want to join. Pick me. But like, if you didn't pick me first, fuck off. I don't want to be on your team. Right. right. I'll start my own team. Right. So I don't want to go where everybody's at, but why didn't they invite me? Mm. Right. So I need to choose to keep myself plugged in. Right. Because I amuse myself. I'm cool (laughs) with myself. I'm not a loner yet. I don't like cattiness. Loyalty is big for me. People that show their true selves, vulnerability, you know. We just talked about in relation to parents, fathers, you know. It's like we think as boys when we're young the true, you know, um, bravery and courage and things like that. But being vulnerable, you know, is the biggest bravery we could ever show. That's the most courageous act we could show is being humble and being vulnerable. And I have to check in. I got to talk to little Jay. Little Jay, how you doing? How you doing? Every once in a while, I got to check in. How you doing? How you feeling? You're good. I got your back. Because as a kid, nobody had little Justin's back. My mom did, but she was working trying to find out. My grandma was very Roman Catholic, blind Mexican woman. Didn't have a lot of a lot of flexibility in that. <laughs> right. You know. So as a young kid, nobody had my back. The only people that had my back were the bad kids. So I opted to hang with the gangsters. I opted to hang with the cholos. I was drawn to juvenile hall. It's not an accident I went there. It's not an accident I started smoking when I was little. I was destined to be a little cool, bad kid, you know. Um, Yet, because somebody believed in me, I somehow found my way out. But I still struggle with stuff. I still deal with ego. I still deal with those things. And what I've learned in my journey is the things that I teach are the things I need to learn. And people that follow me, Mm. the things I'm talking about, I'm telling people all the time, be kind because I need to be kind. Don't judge, because I judge. I'm a fashion snob, right? And a tequila snob. Life's too short to drink cheap tequila. And those certain things, you know, and I have to tell myself, don't judge. Why? Because I hate when you judge me. I hate when I used to walk into Gucci and they'd look at me like I'm going to steal. I'm like, I'm past my stealing days. I'm, <laughs> I'm buying. Right. You know, I'm purchasing these days. But I hated it. So then why do I judge people? You know, I want people to be kind and I hate when people say fake things. So then why do I say something fake? 
And so what I've learned is the things that I'm teaching are the things that I need to learn. And this work is my healing. This work is my therapy. The celebrities that I did and the reason I didn't choose to go that route full time when I was in West Hollywood working was that wasn't my healing and that wasn't where I needed to go. For me, I firmly believe that hair is um, my vehicle to get in front of people. I'm not the best hair colors. People think I'm Rod. I'm not the best hair colors. There's so many people walking these floors that are just as good or better hair colors than me. But I, I know people and I don't lie. And I've been blessed with the ability to say it real and you know that I'm coming from love not fear and people accept it and you don't got to like me it's okay I'm like tequila my mom told me a long time ago I'm not for everybody some people like it some people hate it you know and so within that I just try to somehow honor people and remember that everybody has a story that I come across because I'm that cool kid that I only want to do cool shit I only want to be at a cool place you know, I only want to be a cool bar. We're going to rooftop. How high is it? Four stories. Lame. <laughs> like, what is that? Like, you know, basement rooftop. Like, and so part of me is, yes, I'm, I'm really that person. And part of me is in jest. But I, I know that um, about me. And I just have to kind of be real with what it is. But I want, I guess, I'm 48 years old now. You know, I'm about to be a father. Um, December 7th, expecting a little Rod baby. I have a beautiful girlfriend who's 17 years younger than me who keeps me young. Mm -hmm. And um, I just want authentic connections. You know, I enjoy walking into my Whole Foods and the lady at the smoothie bar knows my name. Swiss cheese for the record. <laughs> because it's a lot easier than always saying Justin everywhere. So every place I go and they go, what's your name, sir? I go Swiss. And then if they look cool, I go cheese. <laughs> so... Uh, when I go to there, when I go to Starbucks, hey, Swiss, hey, Swiss, hey, Swiss. And it feels good. It's like that show Cheers where everybody knows your name, even if it's not your name. Right? And I, 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 need, um, I need community to survive, you know, because it's very easy for me to go on my own. It's very easy for me to go on my own because being raised by a blind woman and my mom was no nonsense and let you go. She named me Justin. Why? Because justice. When I was a little kid, you want that toy, go ask how much it was. So she taught me to be independent. But then there got a point where I was too independent. Right? <laughs> so the state had to take me away from her. But right? you said your grandmother, you know, with her being blind, and, yeah. you know, you were, ang you know, as a kid, angry about that. But, you know, it's funny. And then you talk about community, right? You need yeah. community. So you're in an industry that has great community, but your grandmother being blind, you had to be. Uh, explaining everything to her, maybe that that was a process too to train your eye to be so observant. So now you're this is you know tremendous colorist in a great community because you have this trained eye now because you had to explain everything. I mean, it all worked for something great. Well, and those are the things, right? Like you can't you can't change the what, and we don't know whatever people believe in. Oh, predestiny, this and that. Woo -woo. I don't know. You know, I've never been to the other side. But I think that everything that we have makes us who we are, and you can't have one without the other. And one of the things that I always talk to people about, I go, you know, like, to that authentic thing, I want people that are real. I don't need fake stuff. We all have lied. We've all cheated. We've all stolen. If you say you haven't, shame on you. You know, we all do those things. And so I talk to people and be like, you could be this person who acts like nothing happened, or you could live with your shit and be accountable for it. And I say, we're all like a wall. 
We're all a brick wall. And through our whole life, everything that's happened to us becomes a nick on our wall or a graffiti. That old girlfriend, that old boyfriend, their name is still on your wall, right? (laughs) That breakup, that divorce, when you burned down that business, right? When you sold that house, whatever thing that you've done is on this wall of your life. But what happens, especially here in America, we're great at this, is we have access to unlimited paint and paintbrushes. So every few years, we go get a new bucket of paint and paintbrushes and rollers, and we go paint over our wall. And we act like there's no marks on our wall. And we clean it up, and we buy a new car, and we change to a new address, or we change companies. We go to a new environment, right? But our wall's the same. You just paint it over it. So when people walk by it, they go, oh, look at that nice, clean wall, right? And... It gets tiring painting over that wall every few years. And you see it on people's faces, and you could read how tired they are, especially in this industry. There's a lot of hairdressers, unfortunately, doing what I do that paint over their walls. Shame on them. They should bear their walls because they're standing in front of you trying to make you better. And what's a better place that I come from is every piece of graffiti, every nick, every broken brick on my wall is what's made me. And for me to not acknowledge that is to not acknowledge everybody that has made me. Because I don't stand here as one person. I stand here as my grandmother. I even stand here as my stupid father who wasn't there for me. I stand here as my mother. I stand here as Sam Villa. I stand here as a lot of people that believe in me, you know. And it's because of all these people that you get this ridiculous thing that's in front of you that you're hearing now because I've had a lot of people contributing to me and believing in that. You know, the people that say, oh, I did it on their own. You might have grinded. You might have done solo. You might have did this, that. But you've done nothing alone. You know, we can't do anything alone. So I just want to, um, for the community that we're in here, I just want it to be, you know, I want there to be less cattiness in it. I want us as hairdressers to read a book, not just browse through it. And I want us to be critical thinkers. You know what I mean? Because, yes, it's the beauty industry, and, yes, it is about what the cover is on the book, but the reality is is very few people get so close to people in the community as hairdressers. And even more so, if you think about it, hairdressers are, like, not needed. Don't tell anybody out of this podcast, but hairdressers are not <laughs> needed. Because if you think about it, think about it. Like, we need chefs, right? We need chefs because we got to eat, but we don't need like a $50 piece of steak, but we need to eat, right? We even need developers. We need construction workers because we need home. We need shelter from the weather, right? But we don't need a million-dollar home on the beach, right? We even, even, oddly enough, need clothing designers because we need that. But we don't need Gucci or Louis, but we do need clothes, right, within that. But if you think about it, hairdressers aren't needed. Gray hair will not kill you. Long hair will not kill you, Right? But people allow us to make them feel better. They allow us to touch them. They tip us for doing their job. And we're able to make an incredible living listening to music, taking days off when we want, creating our own schedules. There's hairdressers that make 30000 that are happy. There's hairdressers that make 300000 that are happy. It's relative to the life that you want to live. So I just want to empower our industry um, with some realness, you know. And the bottom line is if... Little Justin Isaac could do it from Avocado Lane. Why can't anybody? Mm. That's that's uh, that's my truth. Justin, I um, I just kind of want to thank you for uh, for sharing your truth because uh, that's pretty deep. Um, you know, I, I don't know what else to say other than I, I mean, it was a mic drop, right? 
Yeah. Thank you for being just, just yeah. so authentic and yeah. so so vulnerable and real. Thanks for the opportunity for uh, sharing my truth, gentlemen. Thank you, sir. Th- well, thank you for sharing for the industry. So, Mr. Justin Isaacs, thank you very much for joining us on your day off. Hey, hey, so there it is. Hey, this is a message that um, we've been trying to bring, I don't know, for the last couple of months, actually since we started the podcast. Hey, so if you like the podcast or if you find that it's useful, please, please, please leave us a review, a five-star review on iTunes. Um, leave us a rating and a review. But if you don't like it, forget about it. <laughs> yeah, totally forget about this message. We also want to thank Sarah and Blaine from Pretty Gritty. Uh, Sarah and Blaine, they are a band out of uh, Portland, Oregon, and we just want to thank them very much for allowing us to use their song, Pleased to Meet You, on our podcast. Um, that's cool. I think you can find... Actually, you can. You can find their music on, um, on iTunes. Peace and hair grease. <laughs>